Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, joining us today for the CIO Strategy Snapshot, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, great to have you back this morning. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation. Great. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here on a Tuesday this week. Absolutely. And the, the timing works out well, Jason, because I know you just released a blog. And within that blog, very interesting read because you reference a paradox in the financial world where bad news is considered to be good news by investors. And then you go on to suggest that notion is maybe no longer held in the current environment. So to set the stage, Jason, can you provide us with some context around that paradox referenced in your blog and why you believe it's not a Applicable to the current environment. So this concept of bad news as good news for financial markets emerged after the financial crisis in 2008. And it kind of became prevalent, let's say, in the you know, 2010, 11, 12 timeframe. And the idea behind it is that the bad news refers to economic data and the good news refers to you know Fed policy or other, any other central bank kind of monetary policy getting more accommodated. And the idea is that if you would get data that was disappointing on growth, showed the economy slowing down, maybe risk of recession rising, this actually led to a positive market response because it meant that the Fed would probably start to change its policy, might do another QE, might start to kind of dial back red expectations, give further guidance on what it wants to do. And, and so I think the we kind of had this you know unusual situation where you know, bad economic data would almost be as good for the markets as good economic data was. That sort of, you know, held through certainly even in the post-pandemic period, uh, you know, when we've had sort of some weakness of the data, we've just had very you know, supportive the fiscal po- monetary policy. But now this regime is changing because the Fed and other central banks have to fight inflation. Uh, and so they need to sort of move forward. They want to move forward. So they're very much in that mode of, okay, we need to get off the extraordinary policy accommodation that we implemented when the pandemic hit. It's not necessary anymore. Inflation is running hot. I mean, we'll see on, on Thursday what... The January CPI number is, but it'll probably be around like in 7%. Unemployment is at 4%, and we're approaching sort of maximum or certainly full employment. So the Fed is sort of meeting its goals. Same thing kind of with other central banks. So it needs to start moving on kind of normalizing policy. Even if we get some economic data, as we have over the past month, where it's a little bit disappointing, it's fallen short of expectations, and that might continue at least for, at least for the data that comes out for January over the course of February. So, you know, if we get sort of disappointing or bad data, it probably won't change what the Fed is going to do in terms of hiking rates starting in March and continue on throughout this year and announcing balance sheet reduction, uh, likely at some point in the second quarter to begin by mid-year. So bad news no longer is going to be good news for markets because the central bank said, you know what, we just have to move forward on reducing accommodation. So that's the shift in the paradigm right now. Jason, that was a very helpful backdrop. So, okay, at this point, we have a better understanding of what was considered to be good news by the market, by investors. So the the question becomes, which you do raise in the blog, it being an important one, well, what is good news considered to be in today's environment? So what are your thoughts there, Jason? So you would think that, you know, good economic data should be, you know, good for the markets. But, you know, the flip side now, of course, is that you have good data that might say, all right, well, this is stronger than we expected on economic activity, unemployment, such as like the Friday uh, you know, payroll report for January. If the data is very strong, that, you know, the, the initial reaction will be, this is going to accelerate what the Fed is going to do in terms of the number of hikes this year. Uh, the market, even after the, the strong labor numbers, at least headline numbers, suggested that you know the, the Fed might want to raise rates even as 50 basis points in March. So just when you can look at what the market is pricing, that you know, moved immediately after 
you know, the, uh, the, you know, the payroll reports, same with interest rates going higher. So in that case, good economic data, you know, may not be so good for the markets because it means even more hawkish central bank speak. So the way I would think about it is, is not going to be a few good data points, uh, but it's going to take, you know, multiple data points over the course of, you know, a few months. And partly for the, the fact that a few data points are enough to alleviate a couple of issues. One is that the data right now is just really noisy, uh, which is different than mix where some data is good and some is bad. Even if a thing like the Friday's you know, payroll report for January, headline number very strong in terms of beating expectations with 400,000 plus new jobs in January and November, December rise combined over 700,000. By any historical measure, that, this would be a blowout result. You know, but there was concerns, or at least some details about how this was influenced by seasonal adjustments. You know, every year they make an annual adjustment. It was also impacted by the 2020 census results being incorporated. So maybe the numbers were overstated because the actual number of total people working in January versus December declined. And the reason being is that, you know, they smoothed the numbers over the course of the year to make seasonal adjustments. We don't know how much that was altered because of the two things I just mentioned or because of Omicron. A lot of people were calling in sick in the middle of January and they couldn't go to work. So it's just hard to interpret that data. So really what we need is a string of a few months of, of good economic data showing the U.S. economy sort of reaccelerating after being hit by Omicron. We also need to see signs that you know, supply chains continue to get at least incrementally a little bit better and that inflation starts to moderate you know, from its peak, which might be, you know, the, the reading for January. It's expected, and, and for, for multiple reasons, it's going to start to roll over once we get into the April-May timeframe. We need to see some evidence of that. So I think once we get that evidence, then it addresses, you know, one major concern that investors have right now, which is that the Fed is hiking rates into a slowing economy. If growth reaccelerates and it doesn't look like it's been impacted by the higher rates or tighter financial conditions that are taking place right now, that alleviates some of the concerns. And I think then good economic data just becomes good because, well, now actually it can withstand the Fed's sort of normalizing policy. I think it'll take a few months before we get there. You know, probably not too clearly, more clearly until like the, the March and more like the April timeframe. So, Jason, in terms of how this all translates to market sentiment, activity, it's interesting. Within the blog, you do note that recently investors have been more inclined to sell the rallies rather than buy the dip. So you also comment that the seeds for a turn in sentiment may be being planted right now. So what are you picking up on, Jason? What do you mean by that? And how long will it take to see green shoots, so to speak? Well, you use kind of the analogy that it's, you know, always the darkest before dawn. We know that uh, just in terms of the impact from Omicron uh, would have been sort of most severe at the start of this year. But as cases have declined quite significantly in aggregate across the country, that this should lead to a reacceleration of activity. We've seen this in parts of the country, such as the northeast, east, which were early on in getting hit, and their cases started to fall earlier and rap- more rapidly. You compare those areas with parts of the country where the cases are still elevated that haven't come down nearly as much, and just look at, you know, credit card spending activity or mobility measures. They've improved more in the areas where Omicron has declined. So it's not being really picked up yet in sort of big national statistics, uh, which tend to you know come out at, you know the month after things have materialized. But in the most high frequency data, you're starting to see some improvements there. I think this will become more evident as we move further into February and ultimately into March when we start to see, you know, the February data showing an improvement. Uh, and then I think the more clearly it's going to be evident as we move into, uh, you know, kind of the springtime. The same thing on inflation. We may get a number that's even higher than it was for December, like an inflation rate of something like, say, 7.2%. That's consensus. Uh, for January, December was 7%. So it's 
So again, it's going to look worse before it starts to get better. But then by, you know, by early April, we will see March numbers are likely to start to come down. And that's what I mean. Like it'll be more clearly evident that the macro environment of growth reaccelerated inflation clearly past its peak. It will be clear. You know, we'll get those green shoots in the spring. But right now, it's, it's not evident. And I think that's the where until we see the data, I think that's where investors are a little bit cautious. So, Jason, in the meantime, how does this ambiguous good news environment, how does it impact the investor sentiment and therefore market performance? Well, I go back to what you said, that investors are, at least some investors in this mindset of sell the rallies rather than buy the dips. And it speaks to investor sentiment that it's really turned much more cautious uh, and let's say a little bit skittish about uh, any sort of negative news. And we saw that during, or so far, during earnings season, where companies that have disappointed have been hit very hard with their stock prices, whereas companies that have done well or exceeded expectations, their price has gone up, but not nearly to the same extent the prices have gone down. So there's this asymmetry where things are more skewed to the downside than the upside. And that applies to sort of economic data as well. Things that are good data, it's like, okay, this is pretty good, but we're not quite sure, versus data that's poor, you know, this is a bad sign for, you know, like, so it's very much an investors, I think, are in this, let's call it kind of shoot first, ask questions later perspective. Another dynamic is that I think the markets are trading what I would call it on spot data as opposed to future data. And spot data meaning looking at the actual data as it's coming in and sort of reacting to it as opposed to realizing this is noisy data. It may not be give the best glimpse of, you know, where we are actually in terms of growth trending. And I'm reluctant to project out into the future, even three or six months where, you know, growth and inflation will be. Normally, equity markets and equity investors are forward-looking. They anticipate where things are going. I think right now there tends to be uh, um, not the same kind of typical behavior. It's much more focused on the near term. It's almost like the you know, collective crystal ball for investors is foggier than normal. And until that clears, I think they're kind of reacting a lot to any sort of new flow now, whether it is data or central bank comments. And when that happens... Uh, it tends to lead to volatility, you know, even amplified volatility versus if you believe the outlook six months from now is going to be good. And that doesn't really change day to day. Markets really don't need to move as much. I think that's sort of the other dynamic is that um, it's very reactive and sensitive to current conditions and it tends to be reacting negatively more so than positively to any given data. I think that's the dynamic that we're in right now. Jason, a lot of interesting takeaways here for investors. So from their perspective at this time, they're wondering, okay, based on this circumstance, based on this outlook you've shared with us, what should I do with my portfolio at this time? So what kind of guidance can you offer there, Jason? So one, I think it's important to realize that, you know, there is a lot of noise in the data. You don't want to get hung up too much on the current conditions and instead focus on, like, where will we be in, you know, six to nine months. I think that we're still comfortable that uh, things will get better, that the growth will sort of, you know, kind of reaccelerate. The concerns about higher interest rates, Fed hiking, uh, tighter financial conditions, really slowing growth. We think the economy is strong enough to withstand that. Uh, and I would just kind of give a kind of an acknowledgement of a recent investor survey that we you know, produced where the, the results were showing, you know, quite bullish, you know, sentiment among investors uh, on the economy and business owners as well, more so than what you would get a sense from looking at the market action and talking to professional investors. So I think in the real economy, things are going quite well. Demand is strong. They continue to anticipate businesses will do well. I think that sort of sentiment hasn't kind of been reflected in the sort of the market behavior recently. So I think that dynamic will play out. Another thing is that right now we're probably dealing with sort of the peak hawkishness among central banks. They know they're behind the curve. They're trying to sort of talk up the markets to kind of even move interest rates a little bit higher, tighten financial conditions before they even start to raise rates or reduce their balance sheets. Well, I think once we move in that direction, I think their comfort level with how things are trending, especially if inflation is declining, will get better. 
Uh, and we may actually not, you know, by the middle of the year, get a Fed that's sort of talking about, like, you know, slowing down the pace at which rate hikes are occurring. So I think given all that, to me, the, the outlook for equity markets and risk assets will get better. Um, and so, you know, you want to be positioned for that further upside, for rates to continue to go higher. And for this for reacceleration of growth, things like the value stocks, uh, you know, financials, which benefit from interest rates, you know, oil prices, we think oil is going to continue to go higher. That should benefit energy. So those things are should be well. Commodities continue to do well. And that's how we want to sort of advise investors generally, sort of like if they're tilting their portfolio in those directions. It's also an opportunity if you have cash that you haven't put to work. I think now, given this volatility, any sort of pullbacks, these should still be dips to buy and put cash to work. Uh, and be kind of proactive, sort of go on the offense during these volatile, volatile periods rather than sort of playing defense and getting you know, too cautious. And from what I you know hear from our clients and our investors, that's kind of how they're behaving. So I think that's the right approach right now. Jason, a very fascinating and insightful conversation. The blog, it's a great read. I highly recommend that our listeners, our clients, give it a look. It is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. I know, Jason, you posted the piece up on your LinkedIn page as well. The title, Jason's blog, is What is Good News Anymore? So, again, for clients of UBS, please reach out to your financial advisor to receive a copy directly. But, Jason, thank you again for joining us. And in the way of a quick promo coming up later this week, I know you'll be joining us for the next How Should I Be Positioned with BlackRock's Rick Reader. Should be a terrific conversation and looking forward to that later this week. Time as well. It should be a really interesting conversation with Rick. He's always a very thoughtful guy. Great. Well, thank you, Jason. And we'll speak in a couple of days. But again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Top of the Morning, as you know, is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.